Good morning. The scripture is from John 21, verses 1 through 19. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Friends, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net to the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, about 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net wasn't even torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. Now this was the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my lambs. Second time he said to them, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Simon said, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And Simon said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus then said, Feed my sheep. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you'll stretch out your hands, and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, Jesus said to him, Follow me.
just those of you who are keeping score at home, kids, 55. Stuart, zero. Okay. So here we are again. The third Sunday of Easter. I'm picking up where I left off last week. Any all? Any? Abracadabra moments? Any? Just to refresh your memory, especially mine. From the Hebrew, Abra, I will create. Kadabra, as I speak. Abracadabra. I will create as I speak. Kind of like what I'm about to do right now, David. Abracadabra, as I preach. Stuart Davenport, I still am. For those of you who don't know me and who are trying to forget me, I'm the executive minister around here. But folks who come more than once get to know me as Captain Chaos, and that's what I basically do is create chaos in the best possible way. So before we go a little further in chaos together, let me say this. It is a real privilege to, and honor to work for you all, to work with you all, to be able to preach to you all, to be a part of a church that wants to be stretched, pushed, pulled by the creator, the redeemer, and the sustainer with different voices of preaching, to allow our pastor to seek rest, to be in rest, and to enjoy their rest. Not many churches before the pandemic were allowing their pastors to do that. This one did. What I realized about this community called Morningstar during the past two years is that if it is good for me and good for all of us to hold strong and live slow, it must be good for our pastor too. Just so you know, you all are in the minority and that's a good place to be. Meaning you all are in the minority of churches that allows your pastor to go and rest. But please share this good news with your friends who go to church elsewhere. Encourage them to allow their pastors to hold strong and live slow and to find Sabbath in as many Sundays as they need it. Your pastor will be better for it, and guess what? You all will be better for it too as you get stretched, pushed, and pulled into the word of the creator, the redeemer, and the, excuse me, the sustainer through the voices of different folks. Hear me now, and believe me later. Last week, I reminded you all that to have a really good story, like a really, 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 really good story, you have to have a really good protagonist and a really good antagonist. Really. A really good protagonist in this story, of course, is Jesus. He's the answer to everything. Like burgers and fries and a side of Jesus. I just want you to know that went over better at 8 o'clock. And, and which is amazing because, you know, they're not, I'm not awake, they're not awake, we're not awake together. And somewhere along the way, we made Judas a really good antagonist. Good versus evil makes for a good story. But I kind of muddled things up last week when I supposed that out of all the 12 disciples, Jesus was the only one who got what Jesus was all about right from the get-go. So Judas was the only one 
who got what Jesus was all about right from the get-go. Judas got it. Like, really got it. He not only got it, but he understood it right off the bat. He lived it. He believed it. He wanted it. He was picking up what Jesus was laying down every single time. Judas got it until he didn't get it. And then guess what? He got it when he least expected it. Judas had a great adventure in grace. That's what we've been calling these last two sermons, last week and this week, that I've been preaching. You know who didn't get it? Peter, formerly known as Simon, which Simon means to hear, to be heard, or reputation. When Jesus met him, he immediately changes his name from Simon to Peter. Well, kind of, sort of, immediately. Which means, Peter means, stone or rock. We have come to know Peter mostly by this verse in the Gospel of Matthew, verse 16, I mean, chapter 16, verse 18. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. With my spiritual thinking cap on, and I suggest you put yours on too, and to use your sanctified, and I'm using my sanctified imagination, and I most definitely encourage that as well. I think that Jesus renames Simon to Peter, well, because Peter's a little dense, like a rock. I'm, say, I'm not saying he's not smart. I'm just saying that he's a little slow on the uptake because you kind of have to argue, like really argue with Peter before he gets it. So my question for you all today is, what if Peter doesn't get it, doesn't understand it, doesn't quite believe it, isn't sure he wants it, he just isn't picking up what Jesus is laying down? Peter doesn't get it. So when does Peter finally get it? What, when does Peter finally get it? When does Peter finally get what Jesus is trying to teach him, what Jesus is trying to teach us all? When does Peter get that? Well, we meet Peter in all the Gospels, but I love how he is introduced to us in Luke chapter 5. Peter and his fishing mates are coming in after a night of fishing, after a night of catching nothing. Jesus asked to borrow their boat and asked that they pull out from the shore just a bit because the crowd kind of got a little bit, a little big there on the beach. And so Jesus teaches from the boat to the crowd that is gathered on the shore. When Jesus is done, he tells Simon, because I don't think he's renamed him yet, to row out a little further and to cast their nets. Simon immediately begins to make excuses and explanation as to why they shouldn't. Uh, they shouldn't. You know, the sun's too high, the water's too hot, the fish are too low, like all these kind of excuses. Um, and I think the rest of the disciples, or the rest of the people who are in the boat... They begin to do what Jesus has asked as Simon continues the, to state his case of no, we're not doing this. When they reach their destination, they cast their nets as Jesus told them to do, and they caught as many fish that their nets, so they got so many fish that their nets began to break, and the, and the boat is starting to take on water, kind of like me right now in this sermon. 
So, fish, nets breaking, boat taking on water. When Jesus and Peter meet, he shares with him this uncommon generosity to the point that nets begin to break and the boats begin to sink. Jesus, uncommon generosity. I think it's in that moment of real surprise Jesus bestows on Simon his new name of Peter and chuckles to himself that he's really going to enjoy messing with this guy just a little bit. And in my rational and logical mind's eye, if that had happened to me, I think I would get it. But Peter doesn't even try to get it. That's why he's named Peter. Like a rock. Dense. But I like Peter, though. He's rough, he's rough around the edges, he cusses, like me, like a sailor, if he is one. When Jesus meets Simon, now Peter and Andrew, then James and John, who are the sons of Zebedee, they know that Jesus they know what Jesus has done in regards to the fish. Either because they were there, Peter and Andrew, or because news travels fast when Jesus is in town. When these four are approached, I think things two, two things happen for each of them. One, they are stunned and amazed with Jesus. That would be two. And two, either the fishing is not very good, or they're not very good fishermen. I think that they follow Jesus because whatever it is that Jesus is offering is better than what the fish are paying, which is nothing. Because either the fishing is bad, or they're not good fishermen. I see Peter as brash and kind of bossy. Some would say that he's a natural-born leader, but I think he kind of bulldozes his way, if not bullies his way, into things. We think that he's part of Jesus' inner circle, and he is, but it's also because he inserted himself there, bullied his way in. Peter has his moments and opportunities to get it. Like when he went out to join Jesus strolling along on the water. Now that I think of it, Jesus has been working his tail feathers off. Kind of like when the creator created everything and worked his tail feathers off in six days. Then after the creator creating what we now call a week, he added one more day. Called it the Sabbath. Then guess what he did? Took the day off. Jesus is tired. He's been preaching up a storm, doing miracles left and right, feeding people loaves and fishes. He's tired. I think he starts to walk along the water to recoup and refresh. And while his disciples go out on ahead of him, this sudden storm that the disciples encounter on the water, I think is Jesus playing in it. Seriously, playing in the water. How many of you all get refreshed and renewed as you go to the beach or you go to the lake and you're out on the water? Can you get an amen? Jesus is playing in the water. Jesus is having fun whipping the winds and the water around, making white caps and sea foam, balling it up and throwing it as if it was snow. He's having fun. Peter, 
bravely starts to walk out onto the water when Jesus calls out to him to join him and play. For those of you who are playing and keeping score at home, this makes two people who have walked on the water, Jesus and Peter. Because Peter didn't take just a few steps. No. Peter walked out onto the water. Like, to the top of the hill. From here to the top of the hill. He's out on there, on the water. And as he's walking out on the water, I think that Jesus begins to mess with Peter. Because he's playing in the water. Putting a white cap there. Pelting him with a sea foam ball there. Peter begins to doubt. And it's not just his doubt about walking on the water. It's his, it, it, it's his doubt. His doubt in Jesus. And what's going on? He doesn't get it. Jesus calls out to him and calls him out for it. O ye of little faith. Peter, Peter, Peter. He struggles with it all. He's human like you and me. I see him in my sanctified imagination getting jealous at the last Passover meal. Though he doesn't know it's the last. When Jesus asks the one he loves, Judas, to sit next to him like a bride and groom, to eat the food and drink the wine. We sing this last, uh, last week together. When Judas goes off to do what he is to do. Jesus asks Peter to keep him company, to stay awake with him as he prays in the garden. Like any sailor, Peter has probably had a little too much to drink and falls asleep. He wakes with a start as Judas comes to betray and the men at arms arrest Jesus. And Peter pulls out his sword or his version of it and strikes the ear off of one of them, causing more chaos than calm. Jesus just picks up the man's ear, sits it back on, as if nothing happened. Jesus steadying Peter, calming him, and letting him know, you don't get it. Because before this night is through, you'll betray me three times. After it's all said and done, after Peter has run to see that the tomb is empty, after Peter saw Thomas stick his finger in Jesus' wrists and his side, he still doesn't get it. And truly only, only knowing one thing in his life, one thing that he can count on, he tells the others, he's going fishing. Like any other night, like any other night that he's gone fishing before. It's hot, muggy, no matter what he does, he and the disciples who joined him haven't caught a thing. Nothing. Nada. Zip. Zilch. Once again, he doesn't get it. Doesn't get the fish. Doesn't get what he experienced in the last week or three. Doesn't get what the last three years were about. Doesn't get it. And as he and the rest make their way to shore, there's Jesus making breakfast. But before they get there, Jesus calls out to them, throw your nets on the other side of the boat. Just like before, they haul in more fish than their nets, their nets and their boat can handle. 
know what I want? I want Jesus to make me breakfast. No, for the reals. Jesus. Breakfast? I mean, I love breakfast. Really. I want Jesus to make me breakfast. So Jesus and the disciples, they eat together. They laugh together. They regale together. They tell tall tales together. As much as the disciples need this, Jesus needs it too. Have you all ever been witness to a really awkward moment between two people? Like a couple that you know who are your friends. They're about to get into a fight right in front of you. Or a friend of yours gets in trouble and their parents are going to town on your friend right in front of you. Or that awkward moment when someone is berating the barista over the most minuscule of reasons right in front of you. Can you feel that feeling? I had that feeling Thursday night. Ran into some friends, happened to stand there talking to them, and happened to mention something, are you guys building a new house? And the wife was like, we don't speak about that anymore. It's awkward. Lean into that feeling right now. And there it is. Jesus saying the most simple phrase and yet so perplexing at the same time. Peter, do you love me? Awkward. Although I think as much as it is in this very moment, a question specifically for Peter, I think that that is for the rest of the disciples who were sitting there as well for the rest of us some 2,000 years later. Remember, Peter is brash, belligerent, don't forget, dense, like a rock. Of course he says yes. The pregnant pause is filled quickly with more laughter and stories of the last three years when after a bit, Jesus asks again, Peter, do you love me? And I see Peter looking at the rest of the guys in the middle of the laugh and I can see him looking at them and pointing to Jesus. This guy, of course I love this guy. And the good times continue. More laughing, more eating, more roasting and ribbing of each other when a natural lull in the conversation begins to take place. They all take notice of the sun rising, the flutter of a few birds, the lapping of the water on the beach, the crackling of the fire, sounds of their breath as they quietly say the name of the Creator 12 to 20 times per minute. Then Jesus, more serious than they have ever experienced him before, looks Peter deeper in the eyes, deeper than he's ever looked at Peter before, and asks, Peter, do you love me? My sanctified imagination, it's as if time stood still 
but it didn't. All eyes are on Peter. No one dares breathe. Just a very slow, cool breeze moves the water back and forth and brushes that one stray hair on Peter's forehead. Three times Peter denied him. And three times Jesus asked him, Do you love me? This moment that I've painted with words, I think lasts for just a brief moment, but it felt like all of time. Until there's a crash in the water over by the reeds, the birds fly up with great sound. And it's in this moment, this very moment, Peter gets it. Peter gets it by the skin of his teeth. Peter gets all of it. All of everything that he has ever experienced with Jesus from the very first meeting until this very moment on a beach eating breakfast with Jesus, Peter finally gets it. Peter gets it, and he falls into Jesus' arms crying, crying for forgiveness, crying because he does love Jesus, crying because he gets it. And as he pulls himself up to gather himself together, turning to the others to see that they all have a look of recognition, that they get it too. They all understand. They all get it. And as they turn back to see Jesus, abracadabra, Abracadabra. He created while he spoke to them. Abracadabra. While he ate with them. Abracadabra. While he laughed with them. Abracadabra. He created disciples who get it. He created disciples who loved him and shared his love with others. He created grace shared it. What an adventure. In the name of the Creator, the Redeemer, and the Sustainer. Amen.